from Los Angeles, California, this is Burncast and I'm the bomb. Happy 2-2 Tuesday and welcome to Burncast. In today's episode, Burncast speaks to Adam and Buck from The Mutator in depth about their personal collaboration as a songwriting team and their efforts to move the Mutator Collective forward following the recent resignation of the band's founder and leader, Maddie Nash. This is a longer episode than usual, but hang on. For you Mutator fans out there, Burncast has included fresh tracks from their upcoming album set to be released very soon. But first, the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. First up, Burncast received a message from Doug J11 of DMT Labs, who had this to say about our previous episode featuring Poncho Andy. Hey, the bomb. It's Doug J11 from DMT calling you. What a great review. Kind of very nice. Um, wanted to let you know that uh, Stefan, my partner in the band, uh, I think it's kind of funny that Poncho Andy got his nickname at a uh, petting zoo party, which was a blacklight party we threw, uh, that Steph and I were part of. So he doesn't even realize he reviewed our band, but we were also part of the party that got him his nickname, because uh, Steph and I were part of the petting zoo of 99 and 2000. So, very weird coincidence. So, uh, and the other thing uh, I was going to comment on was um, the funding of uh, sound art. Um, I think that the... Um, <clears throat> the funding of the Sound Art Zones is a good idea in the context that uh, some of the coolest uh, locations on the playa were these centers of where people could gather and dance and have a, an, an amazing environment. So as long as there's a really cool interactive environment with the DJs and such, I'm all for the Sound Art funding as long as it's a cool space that they're funding, really, the art of the space. Everyone has a DJ. Everyone has a cool space. Um... Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Doug J11 from DMT, for calling in. If you agree with Doug about the funding of large-scale sound art projects, call in. Let us know. Call the Burncast hotline at 206-350-1416 or click on the MyChingo audio recorder embedded at our website. And while you're there, click on the donate button to contribute to our podcast because just like large-scale sound art camps, Burncast is not funded by the Burning Man organization and so we rely on your help to keep bringing you these great stories and interviews from the community. Okay, that about does it for the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. And like I've said, we've got a really long show today, so let's roll. Hello there. This is Mutex, the Mutator. I'm Pixie. I'm the photographer and Mutator. My name is Eric Gradman, sometimes known as Firehazard. Hi, my name is Lisa. I'm Brady. My name is Victoria. Rue, R-O-O. Brian, and I'm one of the visual performers. I am the mutator, tech factor, mutant, and poster child for turning civilians into rock stars. I do lots of fiddly things. And currently, um, I perform in some of the pieces as a dancer, sometimes a fire dancer, and an acrobat, and an aerialist, and a jackass of all trades. I play junk, pots and pans, and sinks, and trash cans, and uh, things that make 
big metal noises and Mutator's official steamroll alarm clock, which involves waking everyone up on tour at 6 a.m. by steamroll death. Kind of disturbing, but kind of useful. I start from the feet, I roll up until I see eyes open, and that means we are ready to wake up and toil and rock. Mutator was always, they always had this drive to them that was unlike any other group that I've ever been with, very professional, very, um, very focused on their art form and like how to execute it well. This is the only place where I can find a bunch of jackasses like myself who are willing to get into trouble. Great partners in jackasses. On stage, they're very charismatic. They each have their own story, and I love capturing that. It's really good to get up there and just rock. Stage time performing and uh, you know seeing the look on people's faces and kind of, kind of what we can bring to the crowds. It wasn't until 2000, however, that I had my moment when I went up on the mutator stage as a cheerleader and basically never came down. I've been involved in mutator for five years. Holy crap. Manipulating your thoughts, feeding your brain. I have a lot of fun shooting them because they're all my family. I love them to bits. Mutator is everything I ever dreamed of in the band and then stuff. And that's a lot of stuff. It's going to be really big. The, album, the, the songs so far, are they're just huge pieces of, of music. We are coming back to the Burner community with LIB, which is going to be really exciting. Um, just because we've been doing a lot of gigs kind of um, outside of the community. So just to be back with our community and like what we love to do with the people we love to do it with is going to be awesome. Get prepared. Get ready. Because, um, yeah. Shit's coming on. We're still here, and um, yeah, we're not going anywhere, and uh, we're except for we're coming to you. Our guests today are Buck Down and Adam Smith, the main songwriters behind the collective ensemble known. Drink. <laughs> oh, no, it's not. No, it's community. Community. The word <laughs> <laughs> Can we throw collective in as a wild card? Okay. I like the word collective. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, these guys uh, that are here with us today are the collective musical ensemble known as The Mutator. Thanks guys for coming on the show. Our pleasure. And just so our listening audience knows what's going on, can you identify your voices for our listeners? This is the voice of Adam Smith. This is the voice of Buckdown. <laughs> <laughs> okay. When did you guys start writing music together? It was pre-Mutator? Yeah, it was pre-mutator. We, we worked on a couple of brain garden things together, as I recall. I remember... Mel and Lewis. Mel and Lewis. Funk's explosion there. Yeah, there was a Mel and Lewis Good Times Funk Review, which had... Um, that was the first time we put a computer on stage. Yeah. Yeah, that was the first time we actually rocked out with a computer uh, together. It was and, an uh, iMac. It was one of those dome-backed <laughs> purple iMacs. I love those. Yeah. yeah, and Mel and Lewis are like a couple of um, you know, extremely like painfully white uh, funk guys you know, that come out. They've got the afros, they've got the 70s clothes, and but the music's kind of funny, and, it, and it's sort of a sort of a Beastie Boys almost, you know, kind of a way. You know, real kind of sarcastic and you know, a definite parody of that whole, like, you know, hip-hop lifestyle. And, uh, yeah, we took we did a couple of shows with uh, with that. And I, I do remember us working on some other stuff. I remember walking around. He was living in Eagle Rock at the time. I remember, remember going out <laughs> late night, going down to, like, Tommy Burger or something like that. Yeah, that's right. And uh, just kind of discussing, like, how, you know, what the name of the project would be should we start writing stuff together. Mm -hmm. and, and we never quite landed on anything. It wasn't quite right for, for Mel and those. It wasn't quite right for, for Brain Garden. And he was working with his... Uh, his other friend who had something, what was it, like 
spare ass Andy Oakley or something like that or oh oh yeah um little endorphin Annie little endorphin Annie yeah you know we, we talked you know briefly about you know working as, as that project but um mutator I think uh just came up and was impossible to ignore it just you know took over yeah it took pretty much you know like I said we, we monkeyed around with I think we we had a lot more conversations about music than we actually had <laughs> music for about the first six months of our relationship, but it really was kind of coalescing, uh, you know, understanding a, a common language we could both share, you know, and it turns out we had a lot of the same sort of objective views on music, you know, about the mechanically why one thing works and why one thing doesn't, and, and a really sort of broad spectrum thing, and I think that was kind of what we really bonded over at the first point, and um, it was really, it wasn't till... What's funny is because Mel and Lewis, I remember both of us thinking how shocking it was conceptually to have a computer on stage right. at the time. Now Why this is wasn't that? like epically long ago. This was you know two thousand one ish, and I remember when we dragged it out. I remember thinking the first time I put the computer on stage, I was like, God, this destroys my punk rock credibility forever. <laughs> like no one, literally no one at that point was doing anything like that. Certainly not visibly. Well, this actually, it was, it, it's interesting because Buck and I, you know, to a large extent are sort of that yin and yang kind of a thing where, where Buck comes from a very you know, indie rock kind of a background. And I've definitely been, you know, motivated. You know, I grew up on craft work and, you know, very, you know, the very electronic sounding kind of stuff and I think you know part of us finding our footing together musically was you know, trying to find a way where you know electronics and rock could could meet in a way that wasn't you know embarrassingly dorky as it is so often and I think you know with the mutator it was perfect because you know we kind of you know worked in these world music influences and we just took you know various whatever was cool about any particular genre and kind of melded it in to you know Buck's vision and my vision, which are very you know very different, but you know as he as he points out, I think a lot of you know, aesthetically what pleases us about music is there's a lot of common ground there, you know. So we were able to you know work together and find you know a, a real happy medium. So you guys are the major contributors to the band, and you've seen it grow since yeah. since like the beginning. Mm -hmm. What are some of the milestone moments you've seen over the years with Mutator? <clears throat> well, here we trade off. I'll do one, you can do one. Okay. All right. I, I would say the first really significant moment for the Mutator... Now, I mean, granted, there's there's fun things and special things that happened, but I think the first moment where everybody really had a good idea what the, the actual use and potential of this band was, was playing at a place called Gallaudet University in I Washington, D.C. Well, yeah, you gotta, it's got to yeah. start with that. Because, yeah. I mean, before, you know, we knew we had a goofy idea. We knew that, you know, we wanted to translate some sort of playa life. You know, we knew that we, we had some rough ideas. But as far as, like, knowing why we wanted to do that, it starts with Gallaudet. We played in front of 2,500 deaf people. And... You know, they wheel out this giant... Nobody... It's this thing called Rockfest. They do it for their spring break. Did you say it was the deaf community, Buck? <laughs> I would say the deaf community, Adam. <laughs> so, anyways, we ended up playing for 2,500 deaf kids. The place goes absolutely batshit. It was like being in the Beatles. Because most deaf people are not stone deaf. They're just <laughs> mostly deaf. You know, that, you know, to be considered deaf, it's not a big empty silence. For it's like legally blind, blind yeah, is legally thing, deaf. Okay. It's like being sort of pregnant. Um, <laughs> it, anyways, they, um, 
is they just listen to music a lot louder. You know, like when they're meeting, they do. Which was fine for us. Yeah, which is fine. We get in the fucking car when we get off the plane and we get in there and all of a sudden it's like the loudest, <laughs> most rattling. Someone they start the engine off because you can tell they didn't. And all the speakers are blown. Like you can sit <laughs> yeah. in their car and just like, yeah. you hit this muffle like. <laughs> <laughs> It's everywhere, everywhere we went, they're blasting music. Like, these people listen to music, that, and they've blown all their speakers. Like, everywhere oh, yeah. we went, it's, it's blown speakers. It's great. They actually had great deaf DJs, by the way. And they, yeah, they had great DJs, and they really do truly love the music. I mean, I, it's I just can remember, a, like, one, one thing that really stood out in my mind was, I remember I was <clears throat> kind of drumming towards the front of the stage, and I guess I must have started counting, you know, because I, I was making eye kind of contact with a lot of the, you know, students in the front front you know a few rows and stuff and i started kind of counting just one two three four one two three four and it was amazing to me almost actually overwhelming like how many of them like picked up on that like because mm-hmm. they're deaf they really hone in um more on like, the facial expression you know things that you do with your lips things that you do with your hands and they really caught on to like thank you for mm-hmm. including us in your music by telling us where yeah. you are you know it's kind of giving them a roadmap to a city they've never been to it, it was fantastic. Yeah, it, it was just, it was the, the most overwhelming response I've ever had playing music. And you know, for, in, in, in any genre, at any occasion, it, it was really overwhelming, like, how grateful these people, and, like, the, the impact and the experience that it has, like, just such a visceral thing. These people went, I swear to God, it was like being in the Beatles, dude. Like, it, I mean, at one point, people, like, rushed the stage and tackled Brady. Like, girls rushed yeah. the stage and tackled Brady. Oh, yeah. Like, it, I mean, it... I had, like, two or three girls jump up, like, take the you know, drumsticks, like, right out of my hand and start playing my kit. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah, it was It was definitely... And everything started from that. I think we came back from that and we realized oh, yeah. that, that this could have a massive impact. You know? And oh, actually, Adam, it... it, it Actually, like right now, we have at the end of our show, we do you know like the six finger hand, mm-hmm. which is like you place you know one hand over the other hand so the thumbs are pointing outward. This Gallaudet show was the first time because you know deaf kids do a lot with their hands. Mm-hmm. They actually invented like a symbol for the mutator, which was really cool. It was you know sort of this this motion where they sort of slid their palms together and, and you know rotated mm-hmm. them and did this whole like thing about you know mutating, and that was. It, to some degree, you know, that, that extent is still, you know, happening in our shows now. Wow, so you spread the mutator meme into the deaf community. Yeah. Drink! <laughs> okay, so, and, and Adam, I didn't You're catch... you pandering at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> what, was, uh, what was a milestone moment for you in Mutator? Milestone moment, you know, I think um, when I joined the band, there was, um, I don't know, maybe... 20%, 15% of the music was actually original. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's, there's, um, there's... You did a lot of covers? Yeah, we were, we were using a lot of electronic music, um, you know, kind of spawning from his time with DJ Satan, where, you know, Satan would play, you know, basically like a drum machine or, you know, like a, um, you know, like a synthesizer kind of a line, something like that, and that he would play along with it. We, I, th- I think, bef- you know, previous to my joining the band, it had been sort of identified, you know, like what the band identity would be musically, and it was a very world kind of a vibe. But nobody had had time to create any of this music, so we were actually, you know, playing to you know music from CDs. Mm-hmm. Essentially, at that point, we were <clears throat> playing around with the concept, of, you know, 
at the time that we were doing this, 2001, we were realizing rock bands weren't drawing at all. However, guys being DJs, going up and playing other people's music were. So the concept of playing other people's music, suddenly there wasn't the allergy to it when we, we let go of that. And it was just the concept of playing drums over that, like basically trying to take the DJ experience and take it one step because we realized like playing raves, there were 500 people. Go to a rock club, there's 50. So... We knew right off the bat we were going in that community. So as the first step, that's what we did, was play the kind of music that we thought was cool at that time over that. And then we just added drums and visuals to it. <clears throat> I do remember seeing a show um, you know, before I, I joined the Mutator. I remember seeing a, a Mutator show at a, um, at a theater downtown. And they, they were play- I can remember, I, I didn't know that they were playing necessarily the covers. And I can remember standing in the audience just thinking like, God... Damn it! This does sound really good. This is like fantastic music. Like, who the hell wrote this stuff? And then when I actually joined the band, and realized, oh, like you know, a couple of the songs are written by Buck, but for the most part, everything else was like canned. Yeah. And I remember kind of feeling like that. Oh, that's that's got to change. It's mm-hmm. got to change now. So we did a show up in San Francisco, and um, it was a, a huge rave. It was actually a you know, candlestick parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I was talking about the you know, candlestick parking <laughs> lot. Um, yeah, it was, it was a big rave in the parking lot at, at Candlestick Park. <clears throat> and um, what year was this? We were sort of challenged to, you know, hey, Mutator needs an album. What year was this? 2002. Yeah, 2002. So Buck and I, you know, hold up in, you know, our studios and just... Which was technically in his mom's apartment in <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and forced ourselves, you know, really for the first time to really, you know, work side by side and create How long did we art. do that? Was that like six months or three months? It didn't feel like it was that long. I don't think it was that long. I think it was like it three might months. have been like three or four months, something like that. But it was every day. It yeah. was every day. And we really, like, focused on it. And to me, that was like a huge milestone because... Um, when we emerged from the studio three or four months later, ready for this gig, we, for the first time, actually had a huge set of original, original music. music. And to be honest with you, like the music's really held up over the years. It, that, it that, body of, record. That, was the, that body of work was um, The Island of Misfit Science, of which we still play a majority of that music. Yeah, we There's, play like 60% of that record. And, still. And, yeah. Still to this day. Six years later. And it's considered, you know, a lot of that stuff's considered, you know, for, for Mutator fans that have followed us from the beginning, a lot of that stuff's considered, you know, a classic catalog. And it, we probably wouldn't, you know, we might remix some of the stuff, but I don't think we would, you know, necessarily cross anything off the list that's, that came from that period of time. And I thought that was a huge milestone. So, so as the dynamic duo of the songwriting for the band, I mean, you guys are the songwriters. Do you guys, like other bands, do you guys get rights to the music? Do you get royalties? Yeah. How does it work, the percentage? How does it all work? Well, use of the name, you know, has value um, because we're moving forward as The Mutator, and The the Mutator is actually uh, trademarked, and there's, you know, an LLC. So we generally um, divide up the publishing with the company, um... But the songwriting share, you know, remains our own. So I don't know how much you know about, you know, the world of publishing, but essentially there's, there's 200 percent, you know, depending on whether you talk to ASCAP or BMI. BMI actually gives you 200 <clears> percent. There's 100 percent of writers and there's 100 percent of publishers. publishers. And each, so, each song is valued that you have the people who wrote it, they own the rights, but... 
just writing a piece of music alone doesn't warrant anything until someone comes along and publishes it. The publisher is responsible for getting it out into the world. You know, you don't necessarily have to write it, but you own some interest in whatever the project or the funnel it goes through. So essentially, add, you know, basically, so a song is worth, let's say a song is worth $10 total. Five of those dollars belong to the writer, five of those dollars belong to the publisher. Exactly. So... You so know. essentially, Buck and I take you know whatever part of the writership that we you know we, we feel we we've earned. In most cases, it's fifty fifty. You mm-hmm. know, in, in some cases, sometimes we we collaborate with somebody else. And it, they, if and other music, Adam and I have always staunchly we made one business agreement at the very beginning of working together, which was essentially from here on out, we will always split everything fifty fifty, regardless of who does what, as right. an insurance policy against either one of us railroading an idea. Simply because it's ours, you right. know. We wanted to make sure that all the decisions we made musically could not be influenced by whether or not you had a vested interest in your part. Yeah, and the quality could not be compromised by money, which is yeah. something that's a very you know, Burning Man related you know issue yeah. ethos. You know, that's, yeah, that's how we've addressed that issue. How is a collective? Who books the gigs? Who? What's the mechanics? Take me behind the curtain. The mechanics have changed a lot. A lot. This situation, which we'll we'll get into later, is actually part of what makes. This, you know, as far as it relates to us and, and what we'll talk about later on, obviously, um, it used to be we had a management, and we didn't always have management. In the last year, we've gotten professional. We had a agency, we had a manager, you know, both of whom deal with, ex- you know, bands like Radiohead. You know, that. Oh, professional. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We yeah were CAA with, is the largest you know, talent yeah, agency I didn't know if we could in, say, in the I world. I guess they're not going to listen to this shit. Yeah, yeah it was CAA. Yeah. Creative yeah. Artist Agency yeah. who manages, you know, literally. Impressive. I'm really impressed. Yeah. Well, it was, it was impressive. It was impressive. <laughs> Past tense. Um, we lost them as a result of this event. And yeah. We'll get into that. We're going to get into that later. Okay. Um, and same with our management. We were working with Jonathan Schenk, who manages The Grateful Dead, who manages particle who managed ccr for a little yeah. while he uh, has an impressive roster to say yeah through. thanks to him we went on tour with a couple of guys that actually got a grammy this year which yeah. is kind of nice you know we yeah i mean it, we it, we i mean we had a fantastic year last year it's weird it ended the way that it did yeah um but nonetheless you know it for years up to that everybody was done everything was done within ourselves primarily primarily through maddie and crunchy you know who as you know, the holders of the the mutator name, you know, Maddie came up with the name mutator, and and so as such, they sort of they formed you know, the LLC. They they represented the governing body, and um, you the know, governing body of the community, wouldn't you say, Buck? <laughs> I'd say that. Be... Okay, so now you mentioned Crunchy. Um, let's tell our audience that's Maddie's wife. Yeah, she's described as the den mother of the band, and it seems that. She's more than just the den mother, to me, at least from where I'm yeah. sitting, um, because she does so much more. Can you tell us about her contributions to the group? Yeah, Crunchy is, um, I think, out of all the people that have ever come and gone you know, in the Mutator, you know, Crunchy is one of the people that most people feel the closest to. You know, she has, she has a, a very nurturing quality about her, um, and, and most of us realize... <laughs> How many people do you know, how many people do you know that are artists? You know, and think about how their lives run. Think about how their their calendars are run. Think about how their car looks and their bedroom looks. Crunchy, you know, has has been able to bring sanity to 
a massive collective of artists that can barely get dressed in the morning. Yeah, I mean the art is is incredible, and that's and that's why she does what she does. But as far as like getting everybody on the plane, getting you know, making sure that you know um, that that everyone's itineraries are are mailed out, making sure that people know where the closest hospitals are, making sure that you know she types up these little things before every show that she's thought enough to get insurance. Yeah, we, <laughs> we're insured. We have we know where to park. We know you know where you know everything is. We know what time to show. It's it's all broken down by her and. Um, she actually perfected a essentially before every gig we get uh, this two or four page document. Which actually, has, I've worked with major bands before. It's a bible that they. It's a tour yeah, bible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We get, we we don't get the whole. We get them one at a time. We're oh, not even you're trusting. smart. She's smart yeah. like right. that. Yeah. We get them one at a time, and essentially because the hardest thing about trying to manage a band with thirty eight people, particularly thirty eight very strong willed, very independent, very um, alpha dog type people, mm -hmm. is. Answering everybody's questions, you know, <clears throat> and essentially this grid thing was developed beyond what, like I've been in rock bands and most bands do it. The one that we have probably should be a model for the industry yeah, because it is literally in, in four pages, it's the answer to any, every serious question any intelligent person could ask. Yeah. From, she's, she's definitely the lubrication in the machine. Yeah. She's the, you know, she's definitely you know, traditionally been... If things have gone smoothly and it's, people haven't lost their tempers, you know, it's largely because of something that she thought of. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've kind of covered the old school members of Mutator. I want to—I know that there's been some new members, like John Al. How do you say his name? John Avila. John Avila. Okay, and he's—he's mm -hmm. he's formerly of Oingo Boingo. Uh -huh. I love that band. Oh yeah. So who are some of the other new contributors? Well, yeah, there's Johnny. I, I, probably our, our newest pride on the block is would be our horn, horn section, section, which we're... Um, Tell me about that. Um, it's three guys. We have a, a trombone, uh, who longtime burner. Actually, the first mayor of Giggsville, Jim King. Um, the guy who actually started Giggsville. Yeah, the guy who jumped um, up Giggsville. And their 10-year anniversary is, is coming this, up. Is this the and I, I am the current mayor of Giggsville, for the I record. I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'll just drink to that anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Actually, everybody should drink whenever the word Giggsville is mentioned, <laughs> and right. you still won't be half as drunk as. Wait, wait! Doesn't drink a, Giggsville have a total drinking phrase? Uh, well, not not specifically. Something, I think there is. I just have to go dig it out. It's okay. Something like "Let's drink." Or fucko. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, and uh, to anybody in Giggsville listening, cheers. Um, okay. All right. So. The um, uh, I was gonna say, oh, so Jim, um, uh, Elliot, and uh, Tom—all these guys played with, I believe, Solomon Burke, right. as well as a number of other big jazz projects. So um, <clears throat> these guys are, are you know, J Jim's a little, you know, Jim's an adult age, but the other two cats are, are young, mid twenties. Um, but all of them are the kind of musicians that have been studying the right way their entire life. Yeah. So, Actually, last night would have been an interesting night for you to sit in because watching these different personalities, they're all um, extremely accomplished at their instrument. What you know, is the right way? They read sheet music. They read and write sheet music. <laughs> That's the right way. What is being a part of this group, of this family, however you want to describe it, what does it mean to you? Well, that's a tough one. Why don't you take that question, Beverly? Um, well, it's interesting. It, it, it's definitely a family. You know, it's definitely, it acts, it feels, it moves, it breathes, just like a giant Catholic family. Um, 
you know, living in a van together. Um, it, what's amazing to me is that, you know, I've been playing in bands pretty much since I was about 15, nonstop. And I, what's amazing is there is less drama in a band of 38 people than there is in a band of three. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, and, and these are all stubborn, strong-willed people to boot. Um, and I'm not quite sure what that is other than to sort of answer your question. I would say like the, the thing that makes someone work in the mutated, we probably had a hundred people going in and out of the door. Um, at this point, what there's a lot of people that have stuck and haven't left, you know, over the years, you know, people like my wife, Rue, people like Eric Gradman, people like Brian Foley, a little bit, you know, there's a handful of people that just have not, like, a lot of people have come and gone and stayed. And the thing I think that unites the people that have stayed is, first of all, you have to love being a cog in a machine. You have to really, and this is something, like, that's one of those things you take from Burning Man. Like, you realize you can't, there's only, there's a ceiling you will hit if you try and do everything yourself. And it's well below the, the, the status quo wow factor of what's going on out there. And you realize that, you know, if you work with a bunch of other talented people and you really free them up to reach their full potential, the result, the resultant product is is overwhelming, and it works. And when you get into that model and you realize that suddenly, like the imperative to become selfish disappears. You know, the the uh, you know the, the you know once you take the the ability to be the star of the show away, then you just start concentrating on what makes the most kick-ass show. And you really build this collective ego instead of an individual mm-hmm. one that's far surpasses. And you can like be a dick about that ego, you know, like yeah, you know, because it's not you. You're not pulling your. It's interesting. Like, Adam, why I are you get giggling? Really tunnel vision, you know, when I'm working on a piece of music, for example, and I, I, you know, we'll be working on something in the studio. I'll just be thinking like this music, this music, this music. We've got to get the right mix, and we've got to. It's going to be so cool. And then, you know, the show will happen and, you know, everything that you've been focusing on, suddenly what stole that moment was something that somebody else did in reaction to what you created. And I find myself, you know, driving home later, chuckling about it or thinking about it, just thinking like, yeah, that was awesome. Like, you know, what so-and-so did to such-and-such that I created was unexpected and made the night. So it truly, a mutator truly is a collaborative effort. Yeah, it's, it's basically, it's one of those things like, it's kind of like that scene in Close Encounters where the guy's making the mountain out of the mashed potatoes, <laughs> only imagine there's 38 people having that same vision at the same time of the mountain. It's like, no, it was like that. And then the other guy goes, oh, okay, we're here. And then, oh, yeah, that's right. That's where the shit came out of it. You know, it, it it's the same thing. It's the same kind of neurosis. And... What's really funny is, like, you, you know, I'm very surprised at how unprotective uh, people are of their parts I know. of the show. Like, there really isn't, like... Is there generosity of spirit? Well, it's yeah. one of those things. It, I think it goes back to the thing where everybody's really, like, anybody that's worth their salt in this band is big picture. And realizes, yeah. like, okay, what we're doing here is bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's trying to make something bigger than all of us. Right. So then when you start framing the debate that way, it, it becomes more about, like, you know, you're hoping somebody has a better idea than you. You know, you're hoping that, like, you know, because it, it, everybody wins. When the, bar, when the water goes up, all the boats rise. And that's the basic concept about how the mutator or why the mutator works with that many people for that long. is basically the disconnect between your personal ego and agenda mm-hmm. And more about the community. 
<laughs> and, the, and, the, and the collective. Okay. You know, because you you it's like one of those things. It's right. it's a very much a Burning Man thing. You can get a lot more done, a lot faster, and a lot more impressive when you've got a team of people working on it. And at this point, we've been working together so long that we really trust each other. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of like you know we can hand our baby over to somebody else and know that whatever they come up with, it'll be treated with respect. Be, yeah, yeah, it's going to be beautiful. And that's and that's the cool thing. You do something cool, and you realize, oh well, they did something fucking cool. I better get my game. <laughs> you know, you know, you'll start seeing what other people do, and it does. It's a continual. And actually, you know, this record, you know, more than any other record, you know, certainly the first record was just like, we need music now. <laughs> we but make now, music now. Yeah, but now it's it's definitely, you know, let's talk to the people that are going to have to come up with something to this music. Let's see what they want. Let's see what they're inspired by. Let's see what yeah. they're listening to now. That's how we're getting smarter in, in this, because it used to be we just wrote a piece of music, and it's like, all right, here's a piece of music. You figure out what to do visually over that. And then as the second record came down, came around, we started being at least more con. When we wrote it, we became more conscious about what happens to the music. The so it's like line. Mutator 2.0. Well, yeah. yeah right. Well, every rec- you know, every record is kind of like the new operating system. <laughs> Family business. We got to the point where we knew, okay, we we know we're playing a big show. We know there's a lot of elements, and we know that there's a vibe. And what's the vibe we're trying to get? Well, you know, this is a family. This is a family business. This is a family-run business, and, and we're sort of trying to do what. So many people are, which is recreate a, a healthy nuclear family. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people of our generation, 50% of it, they come from some broken home. Everybody walks around with that scarf. It's one of the reasons why Burning Man's so popular. You get to reinvent family, you know, and you get to get that itch scratched. <laughs> your friends are God's way of apologizing for your family. It's true. He's so right. <laughs> I was going to put that in my signature line in my emails. <laughs> But uh, don't let me forget that. (laughs) But one other thing I would say is that um, now that yeah, first record was about um, we need music now. Second record was about all right. There's a vibe going. Let's let's you know try to maintain that vibe or or add to it. The third record is yeah. Now that we've kind of gotten to a point where we you know where we have listeners, where we have an audience, we have people that are tired. You know they're they're ready for new music. You know, I, I think we've made sort of a gutsy, you know, decision. You know, we have musicians around. better than us in the band now. Yeah, we've also we've also made a gutsy decision, I think, not to go for you know the the clear cut winner. I, I, we we appreciate our audience enough to give them something to listen to. That this will be very different for a long time. Yeah, this this next you know record, the, the material that we're working on, and and so far the acts that we've seen put together, you know, for it, are it's all about art. It's not about we're pop stars now, you know. It's it's definitely more about like you know this. We want to make the kind of you know experience that you're going to talk about for years, and 20 years from now, you know, people that weren't even born now are going to think like, damn, I can't believe I missed that show. I, you know, if they get together, if they get on their wheelchairs and come down and do a show, I'm going to bust my neck to get down there and see it. Like the police. Like the police. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's that's where we're coming from. That's where, where we're inspired for. And we want to, I'm not saying that, that, you know, that everything we do is, you know, is police worthy or, or what have you, but I am saying that, that we It's police worthy, our... just not in the musical <laughs> sense of the yeah, word. We, we respect our audience enough that we're, we're not taking advantage of, you know, a, a position we're of We're not phoning this one in. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're taking a little extra care to make sure that there's a little something in there for the people that put the headphones on. Yeah. That was Buck and Adam from The Mutator speaking to Burncast. Coming up in the second half of our show, our guests will be talking about their plans for moving on after the resignation of The Mutator founder, Maddie Nash. But for now, as promised, 
from their upcoming new album, This is Herod's Daughter. If you like Herod's Daughter from the Mutator's upcoming new album, let the world know all about it by leaving a message at burncast.net. And while you're there, click on the donate button to contribute to our podcast because Burncast is not funded by the Burning Man organization and so we rely on your help to keep bringing you these great stories and interviews from the community. And now, we return to our interview with Adam and Buck from The Mutator. So now, after all these years of a collective work, the founding member of Mutator, Maddie Nash, gets caught in a televised sting on Datelines to catch a predator. Now, it seems that nobody in the group knew about it. Nope. 
Is that, am I incorrect? No, you're quite right. Oh, okay. You're quite, well, it, well, the nobody cabin, knew about it until February. Right. Well, no. Well, with the exception of Crunchy, his wife, who you know, for obvious reasons, would have known about that. Um, okay. So this this took, to, took this was taped out, in September. In and September, I believe. 9th or 11th was when the incident itself happened and it aired February was it 7th ish yeah I uh, seemed to yeah, I don't we know why I remember back that. from Burning Man actually and, and Maddie was sitting in a slammer how did you find how did you individually find out I found out okay the show aired at 8 o'clock one thing I gotta stop when you guys go back and forth like that it really weirds yeah. the sound out just right. so you know I'll stay put uh-huh. um when uh, the show ran that week, first week in February, I think it came on at 8, 10 minutes into the show, the piece ran. Immediately, Eric Gradman's mom called Eric and said, hey, what's the name of the guy that started your band? <laughs> and uh, he told her, and she was like, yeah, he's on TV. And Eric was like, that's great. And she's like, no, it's not no, great. It's not. it's not great, in fact. So I found out probably 8.20, the, the beginning of the show started at 8, maybe his piece was at 15, by 8.20 I got the first phone call. And it had gone to three people by, by the time it hit me, and it was like, you aren't going to believe this. And I was like, try me. And I, she was right. And then I immediately called Adam, I was like, are you sitting down? Because what I'm going to tell you, you're not going to believe. This is so, like... I thought somebody died. He, yeah. he called and he was just like, I have like some really, this is, this is awful. And I was just like, uh, <laughs> this isn't the line we use for awful. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was waiting for a movie to start. I was having a cocktail with my wife in a bar and the phone rings and it's, and it's Buck. And he's like, you know, this is, I got something to tell you. And it's like really, it's really awful. And I thought, who died? Our career, <laughs> yeah, that's the, that sucking sound you hear. Just got that's hit our by career a car. going down the toilet. We had a meeting the night after the show aired. You know, an, an all hands meeting, everyone in the band, and including um, Maddie. And no, with oh no, that's with right, Maddie. with Maddie. Okay, I didn't make that one. That's right. And um, it was decided, you know, pretty much unanimously, you know, that whatever needs to happen to make this. To make the band not suffer for what's going down, you know, while this le- you know legal case is pending, um, I'm more than willing to do. And he was very happy—well, not happy, but he was very willing, you know, to to completely sacrifice his own, you know, existence within the project. I mean, if if you guys think I need to completely step away, then I will completely step away. And you know what? We went around the room, and I think it was also you know so new and fresh at that time that you know, a lot of us were were extremely upset. A lot of us were confused. A lot of us needed time to digest you know what had actually happened. And it was decided, yeah, you need to step away you know from the project. So this was a democratic thing. Yeah. Okay. Yes or no question. Do you feel that there's any way that Maddie could be part of Mutator again? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> well, here's the deal. I mean. Never's a big word. Um, I know this much, and right now, I can tell you that he doesn't have anything to do with the band now. He won't have anything to do with the band anytime in the near future. Um, whatever happens down the line happens down the line. You gotta understand that, like, not only is this hard for other people to get their minds around the concept of May, within our own ranks, there's plenty of people that are like, look, if he comes back, you know. I'm not going to be here, you know? And there's a lot of people, like I said, the problem with this is that because it happened in this kangaroo court, 
it doesn't matter. Like, the thing that supposedly happened, happened. Whether it did or actually didn't, or whether it was set up, or whether it was... It doesn't matter. It's the association. And, like, you know, the problem with this particular thing is it could have been practically any other crime. And we could have walked away from yeah. this unscathed. Some Oscar Wildean fashionable sin, um, you know, shy of actually. If it had been a murder, you know, it, it would yeah, have been even, cooler in some ways yeah, than, than even this. A, even homicide is something that, like, I mean, glad nobody got killed for fuck's sake, but, you know, the, at the end of the day, you know, just having this near you, just having this anywhere near you, because, and, 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 it's, and we proved it by looking at the impact it had on us professionally, even with Maddie gone from the band. CA ain't touching us. Our management ain't taking us back. We're not getting back any of these shows that we lost. Um, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he did or didn't do. And, and for a lot of people in the band, um, it's the same way, which is just like, look, I have this set of values. I have this thing that happened to me in my past. I have this whatever. And the perception of, you know, Matt, Matty's guilty of something. I'm not quite sure, or no one's quite sure what it is, but we certainly know that he's guilty of something. And if nothing else, it's our trust. The first gig following the Dateline airing, Mutator gave a performance at the Knitting Factory, uh -huh. which was mm -hmm. only a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that evening. How did it go? Uh, well, it's really funny. It, you know, as time goes by and I tell the story to people, I guess it, it gets more, it becomes more of a religious experience. It went good. It went good. You know, it, it definitely was one of those things where it was like a weird place for us to play on the weirdest night of the week. It was like a Tuesday, like just total commercial suicide. And it wasn't, <laughs> it was, it's not a big place. So a, a lot of, you know, by mutator standards, it wasn't a, a shit ton of people, but it was a lot of people. And they were definitely there. Um, and a rabid show of support. It was definitely one of those things where we were going to play to prove that we weren't done, and our fans were coming up to prove that they weren't going away. And when we all got there in the same building, we realized there was that sort of that one moment where we realized, okay, the future's still intact. You know, we're yeah, going and, on together, <clears throat> and it was a great performance. Everybody had a good time. And the it, mantra that night was, "We're going to be okay." You know, yeah. all, all the all the backstage stuff that went on before the show and during the show. It was, um, I mean, people, for the last, what, third of the show, the the stage itself was just, you know, swarmed with people. I had, you know, two different people, like, you know, behind my kit with me playing the kit. It was the warmest, most affectionate, most loving, you know, audience and band experience I can recall. It's very really therapeutic. Think, yeah, I think a lot of us, you know, we, we came close to, like, feeling like we could have lost this. This could have been it. And this was our chance to say, you know what, we're going to be okay. I'm so glad we had that show, too. Yeah. Because, like, really, at that point, only four days had maybe gone by, five days. Less than a week, I think, yeah, from the time was, the story it was, broke. it was quick. So it was really quick. It was actually one of those things where you couldn't have planned that. And, unfortunately, it was quick enough right. to, to where the promoter wouldn't bag us out, bag out of the show. Right. But so uh, it was already... Yeah, that was already on the books. It wasn't like, hey, we're throwing a show. It was definitely was planned. It just so happened that it coincided a week after the event. And there were you know, a fair amount of uh, uh, you know um, reporters and stuff there, and, and you know, namely um, the LA Times, you know, came down, and that was their chance to sort of you know check up on us and see see what was going on. And luckily, they they were pretty. Um, 
you know, pretty pretty behind the band. You know, they they knew who we were. They they respected who we were, and they didn't want to just you know sensationalize the story. They definitely wanted to, you know, kind of get a a take on you know what now. They of course had the breeze by what happened and sure. the whole you know national TV coverage of it all. But for the most part, um, you know, the article that came out with the Times was was extremely um, empathetic. At, uh, yeah. It, well, yeah, it definitely was the first volley back. You know, because like we're you know we're going the the only side of the story that existed was the Maddie getting busted and the people that could connect Maddie with the mutator. And well, at, least they, at least in my world, every time, every time the phone rang, it was like Jesus Christ, please don't be more bad news. Yeah. Every time the phone would ring, it would be like... More bad news. I got more bad news for you. But um, the thing is, we, this was... The LA Times piece was our first chance to get our spin on the story. In fact, the, the, they entitled their article called Mutator... It came out on my birthday, by the way. Mm. Oh, says, happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, the article's entitled Mutator Won't Die. Yeah. Is that title accurate? Of course. Very much so, yeah. We're like Chucky. <laughs> or or I will say, A couple of people have pointed out, you know, I mean... The mutator, you know, I don't think there was any, you know, feeling, any real deep feeling for more than a minute or so that the mutator might die. I don't feel that we need to, you know, necessarily, like, you know, convince the audience that, like, we're still going, even after this. Of course we're still going. I mean, this is what we do. This is what we've been doing. This is, you know... I guess it never no really was an option. I guess yeah, it's Yeah, this just... is no real surprise to anybody. We have to, you know, regain our footing and stuff. But, you know, for the most part, um, you know, Susie Q is is a dancer. And Buck and I write music. And, and KJ is, you know, this incredible little sprite. And what else would we do, you know, than, than this? If we have to change our name, oh, all right, you know, that sucks, but we'll do it. Yeah, it really, the, the impact on this really happens on a very cosmetic level, but it's also the level in which the money changes hands, unfortunately, um, and thus comes the business of show. But uh, What do you mean? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about art. You can make fantastic art and never make a living doing it. It doesn't quantify your art as being bad or anything like that, or conversely, if you're very commercially successful, that your art is good. Art's art. And there are two ways you could go about it. And Burning Man has sort of always kind of applauded this like Herculean effort for no money and to disappear afterwards. There was like a, a great premium placed on that, actually, the ephemeral nature of the art. And, and, and you know, it was almost like artistic martyrdom, really. You know, like this concept <laughs> that like we're going to make this monumental piece and then we're going to either destroy it or we're just going to piss a bunch of money away on and time and effort and possibly destroy some friendships to make this piece of art. Well, our, you know, our thing, because we wanted to keep it going, we had to figure out how to make it commercially viable. Well, now you enter into show business, and that takes managers, and there's a lot of stuff that has absolutely nothing to do about whether or not you're making good music or putting on a good show. It's, it's phone calls, and it's emails. It's work. And it's business. It's, it's business. It's it? work. I can't tell you how many people, you know, look, give us the sidelong glances, you know, and, and especially in the early days where they're like, you know, we're, we've heard there's a big buzz around you. We can see there's a, yeah, a huge crowd here. I'm tapping my foot. I'm having a great time. But how do I package this? How do I market it? What what genre do you guys yeah, fall in? Yeah, how do you quantify what, this? You know, yeah. yeah, what, what, what you know, bin at, at, at you know, Warehouse Records do you guys actually fit in? Yeah. And, that, and yeah, and that's and that's kind of why we 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 dealt as far into the music business as we could, which was to get 
a lawyer and an agency and a manager, you know, just to keep us so that we could get better gigs and more money. Isn't one of your lawyers, isn't your lawyer part of the band, the group? No. No. No? no. Oh, I, we, I we deal it. with, with a, a pretty heavy guy named Mel Dolan. Um, what about Laszlo? I thought he was one of no, the attorneys. No, he was never the attorney he for the men. Yeah, he, is, he, he is hasn't, an been, part of the, he, he hasn't yeah. been part of the project in, in Over at least a year. A year. But he, he's an attorney, and he was in the band, but he was never the attorney for the band. Right. Um, I misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, honestly, when he, when he joined, we were, we were kind of thinking, you know, like, hey, we get you know, legal services. but it, He, he, really he practiced right. a different kind of law. I don't think it's... Mm. I mean, he knows... Uh, the kind of law that no one talks about. Yeah. Um, you mean, I think he does First Amendment law, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 First Amendment law is what they call it. What are you, what are you making fun Are you making fun of it? No. Oh, I'm just curious. No, no I was just caught. Um, oh, okay. We'll first on. Amendment. That's, what, that's, that's First Amendment. Okay. Um, speech. Okay, we'll move along. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. Isn't there a different question, though? Yeah, there is another okay, question. Let's talk about that so, um, so basically you're saying that the mutator is going to survive the scandal. It yeah. is, and here's the thing. The question, like I said, the question is, what do we lose? Well, we lose our manager. We lose our booking agent. We lose the ability to book in places that don't already know us. You know, I mean, we'll regain that over time, and, we'll, you know, we'll probably replace those people. But in the meantime, we kind of have to fall back on the sort of gigs that happen every year. Azara, uh, Dark Skies, you know, several decompression things. I would say fall back, and I, honestly... I, yeah, we never... I yeah, see it as an opportunity to, like, reconnect with... Yeah, it, it, We've kind of gotten away from some of these gigs because we were so busy, you know, doing... Trying to get into new markets. Traveling and trying to get into new markets, doing corporate stuff. This is a great opportunity for us to reconnect yeah. with our core, our core audience and where we came from, our roots. Right. Bernie, man, we actually are... Not invisible. We're one of the... Well, and because... Mainly, it's, it's, it's really, we just happened to corner a market. There weren't a lot of live, there has not traditionally been a live music presence in Black Rock City. We we're one of only a handful of bands like us. And, <laughs> he apologized to all the other bands that go to Black Rock every year. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, think about it. Think about the endure, bands that endure, music playing bands out of, compared yeah. to the number of DJs. You know, you've right. got, and they're great bands, great bands like March 4th and Rosin Coven. DMT. And DMT, Extra Action Marching Band. You know, it's maybe like, one live music band for every 50 DJs, maybe yeah. 100, probably, you know, guess it somewhere in there. But needless to say, we were one of the only bands that managed to form at Black Rock City and then have a viable, like, we're in the press type, you know, and putting out records sort of existence. Let's let's wrap this up and let's okay. wrap this up with what Mutator does best, Rock which ass. is music. Let's talk about this new album. I was supposed to come over last night to record this interview, but you were busy. Right. What were you doing? You want to you tell them the name of the album there, Buckles? The name of the album is going to be Yelling Theater in a Crowded Fire. Right. Which is, you know, sort of our, our traditional approach to, you know, to whimsy with, you know, ass-rocking. We, um, and, as I mentioned earlier, we're, um, we're definitely making an effort to, uh, to dig deep on this one. We, we, um... We've got a pretty good amount of, you know, what we consider from, from the band standpoint to be ass rockers. You know, what we consider to be, you know, get up and dance kind of songs. And I think um, on this one, we'll, we'll have some of those. It sounds like think, grown-ups made it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think on this one, we're, we're definitely tipping our hat to, like, some of our, you know, there's, there's bands that's like, you know, that's a pretty cool song. And then there's bands that are like, that changed my life. 
And I think, you know, we've, we've kind of gotten to a point in our career where we feel like we can, we, we have a little bit of the creative freedom to go ahead and explore, you know, what we could do if we didn't have any chains on. And yeah. we, we've taken the chains off. We're just, we're just going to make some, we, we, we're playing with some really heavy cats, which is cool. We've had the opportunity, to, I mean, this year alone, we've had the, you know, we've played with Kitaro. We've played with Mickey Hart. We've played with uh, a couple of the cats from James Mike Addiction. Gordon. Pretty much every, yeah, everyone, you know, a couple of guys from Fish. George Clinton. George Clinton. Everybody yeah, uh, from... Joan Baez. Me and Adam played with yeah, Joan Baez. Yeah, Joan Baez. Zakir. Zakir Hussain from, uh, you know, from uh, India. India. We've had just an incredible uh, amount of talent. Charlie you know, Musselwhite. We Charlie, rocked with Charlie, Charlie Musselwhite. Musselwhite. We rocked with Richie Havens. Richie Havens. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these I, are these are all guys that are certified great, musicians. It's been a great year for us, and, and we've um, we've had the opportunity to to pull some of these cats into the into the studio and say, hey, you know, we're we're laying down some tracks for the new record. How do you feel about being on it? And you know, far and away, most of the response has been like, hell yeah! Will you I make mean, me a sandwich? Yeah. Is there a chance that Mutator's going to rock it on the playa again anytime soon? <laughs> There's and, a very good chance. I would say a better chance than ever. Because um, the way it was billed last time was the final Mutator show at Burning Man. It was, it was, the, it final was the final Mutator show at Burning Man. And Why? I will, I will point out two things. There's, I mean, I really don't know the politics. So. There are a lot of politics. It's all politics. It's a whole other hour interview. All right. Yeah, but, it's a different um, interview. But, I mean, I, I, will, I will say this. It's, this year is Gigsville's 10th um, anniversary. Next year is Mutator's 10th anniversary. So if you don't see Mutator this year or next year, uh, you we all died in a horrible plane. <laughs> yeah, right. We were lost at sea. I will. I'll, I'll end on this note, which is just to personally address anybody that's taken the time to listen to whatever you edited down here, or has any remote interest in us in any way, or supported us. Um, thank you, um, sincerely and honestly. On you know, speaking for myself, and I'm sure everybody that's been involved in the project. The fact of the matter is. We got to where people are even putting a microphone in our face and giving a shit about what we say because of people like you that are listening. They came out to the shows, that bought the records, that got dressed up, and that made this experience what it was. I mean, we showed up and we played music and we brought the gear, but quite honestly, it wouldn't have been anything if the thousands of people didn't show up and hang out and rock out too. That's like the and same with Burning Man. There'd be yes. no Burning yeah. Man if there wasn't a community. Yeah, well, and. and and thank you to everyone that's to been a part of this because it does extend beyond this whole the whole point of this interview and what we've been trying to say as it relates to the scandal and as it relates to the band is you know you know at what point you know you figure out it's not about one person it's not about two people it's not even about 37 it's about the process that happens when everybody gets together and we do this, we play this music, we dance together, we jump up and down and we freak out, you know, and oftentimes for no good reason. But what does it do? I mean, that's adding years to our lives, I'm sure of it. And it's adding to the quality of your life for it, sure. Yeah, the quality yeah. of our life. And I'm so grateful to every person in the Burning Man community that's been part of this with us. And we, out of respect for all of you, we promise we'll continue to keep doing this if you continue to keep coming out and supporting us. This concludes our interview with Buck and Adam of The Mutator. A very special thanks to everyone at Smash Labs for sharing their stories with us. 
Next week, Burncast wraps up the mutator story with an interview with Mama Crunchy. But in the meanwhile, let's enjoy Conqueror Master, another new track from Mutator's upcoming album. been listening to Burncast, a podcast spreading the flames about the art, culture, and community of Burning Man. For more information, visit us at burncast.net. 
To contact us, please call the Burncast hotline at 206-350-1416 or click on the My Chingo audio recorder at our website to leave us a voice message. A very special thanks to Lecter of NoSpectators.com for hosting these podcasts.